to be understood as uh, elders in the church. Uh, we also saw that the overseers uh, or the elders are people whose influence or leadership flows from a place of character or godliness, from a, a place of spiritual maturity that is expressed in family life, in the church, with outsiders, and through the sound teaching of God's word. Uh, we noticed um, as we were led through that teaching that um, one of the things that sets apart that group of people is that they are able to teach the word of God. But at the end of the message, Pastor Chris made such a great point in helping us see that leadership is both an aspiration and an invitation for every believer in Jesus Christ. And so he changed the title, if you remember, on the heading of the board from elders to anyone of you or put your name at the heading of the list. So today, we are going to be focusing on the second part of chapter 3. The first part covered the overseers. The second part focuses on deacons. And deacons is to be inclusive of deaconesses. And we'll get into that uh, as we go along. But uh, I want to start by saying that uh, there is an element of fear towards leadership. Um, do you experience alurophobia or leadership phobia? Now, I cannot say that word unless I see it written down. Alurophobia is the fear that a black cat may cross your path, or you're just afraid of it, any cat for that matter. And so um, there are all kinds of fears that can keep us from wanting to be a leader. And I want to start there because this leadership passage touches everyone. Because the reality is that all of us have some level of influence, whether that is at home, at work, or with outsiders. There's different contexts with that happen. But some of us are afraid of leadership. In my observation, in 21 years of being one of the pastors here at 11 Faith Alliance Church, I've noticed that it's easier for people to say, I'll clean the tables, or I'll set up the room, or I'll do a lesson with the little guys. Not the grown-ups, but with the little guys, right? And I'm not minimizing that role. I'm just saying for some people, it's like, give me, give me an easy entry point to serve in, right? But when it comes to leadership, there is this fear. Sometimes we're afraid because uh, we're afraid of failing as a leader. Maybe we're afraid that we don't qualify. Maybe we don't, we're afraid of being held responsible because after all, you know, when everything is said and done, where does the buck stop? The leader, right? Who's going to carry the responsibility of the choices made? The leader, 
whoever that leader might be. And so we may be afraid of responsibility. We may be uh, afraid of uh, just thinking that we don't have gifts or capacities that we can bring to the table. Perhaps we're afraid of being a leader because we had a bad experience with a leader. And the truth be told, we don't want to do the same thing that was done to me to other people. And so we shine away from leadership. But perhaps your fear of leadership has nothing to do with that list. Maybe your fear of, of real phobia is being dependent on God or His Spirit to give you grace for the task. Let me say that another way. Sometimes we're afraid of becoming a leader or being in leadership because there's so many unknown and mysterious aspects that come with depending on the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps our phobia starts there. When it comes to leadership, I do believe that our world is in crisis. There is a misunderstanding, and that misunderstanding is revealed by this question that uh, Angus MacLee, who wrote a commentary on the, on the first letter of uh, 1 Timothy, um, he asked the question, why do we tend to value gifts over graces given by God? Or why do we uh, tend to value competence over character? In our world today, there's a great confusion. We'll take you if you're competent and gifted. Your character doesn't matter. There is a lot of confusion. And for Paul, he is going to bring a different perspective. Paul is going to say, the grace given by God matters more than your gifting. And the character, the godliness that you display, it's more important than how competent you are. And so... I'm excited because this whole chapter 3 reveals to us that leadership is a well-fitted piece within a larger, beautiful plan called the gospel. Somehow God thought and designed leadership within his household, within the church of God, as one of the means by which he makes the gospel of Jesus Christ progress in the world. So we're going to look at who are these deacons, what qualifies them, and what is it that they do. Um, who are they? Uh, or, yeah, who are they? Originally, deacons were men set apart to serve in practical ways, depending on the Holy Spirit. They were to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Um, in the book of Acts chapter 6, if you would remember the story, the apostles are spreading the gospel throughout the region. And then the Hellenistic Jews, who are the Jews who have learned to speak Greek, 
They're not quite like fully Hebrew Jews. They're Jews who have adopted the culture of the Greeks. And so the Hellenistic Jews come and say, wait a minute, the widows in our congregation are being overlooked. Nobody's paying attention to them. Is anybody going to care for them? And so they say, let's pick seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. We'll lay hands on them, pray for them, and set them apart to be the deacons. And so that's where uh, the, the, the history of deacon ministry begins. These deacons were given to, to the practical help that was needed within the church. Now, there is a little glitch. When we come to verse 11, the passage that we read says, their wives, and then gives some qualifications for the wives. So when you read the passage, you will read it out. Oh, these are qualifications for the deacon's wives. Well, I, uh, I think that's a little surprise that we find in this passage. And um, one of the reasons that we can uh, say that that is not an accurate translation is because the original Greek test lacks the qualifier there. So there is no their wives in the original text. There is translations like the ESV, the NENT, and others that translate it that way. But the original text does not carry that meaning. In fact, the word used for woman and deaconesses, I'm sorry, woman and wives is the same word. So it becomes a little bit tricky to translate. Are they talking about wives? Are they talking about women? The scholars tend to favor the uh, translation woman instead of their wives. In fact, I come to favor that because in Romans 16.1, Paul uses the same word. Uh, the word diakonon is the same word used in 1 Timothy 3.11. And Paul talks about Phoebe. Phoebe is a woman who is a leader in the community, and she is one of the deacons mentioned in the New Testament. And so um, we find more evidence to believe that the better translation for this passage in verse 11 is woman, not the wives of the deacons. So what qualifies them? What is it that Paul would say, what qualifies this man and this woman? And I am so thankful. Did you notice all the people in the Truthful Living videos? That's amazing. Men and women who are giving themselves to take initiative and leadership for the good of our household, for the good of the family of God. And that is worth celebrating. Um, I can also think of, um, of specific people. You may not know, but this week, B. Zimmerman 
uh, almost 89 years old, I believe. She was here in this church before I even got here. And she went to be with the Lord this week after a struggle with uh, cancer. You know, when I think about B. Zimmerman, I think about the impact she has had as a woman in this church. If you ever meet her son, Kim Zimmerman, who happens to be an elder and a deacon in our church, you will soon discover that Kim is a man of prayer. Kim is a man who loves to pray. Pray with you, pray for you, pray, period. And you know where he got that from? B. Zimmerman. Kim would tell me the story of every Monday, he would go to his mom's house. For a long time, they did this together. And they would have their prayer time together. See, God uses this wonderful woman in our household, in the body of Christ, to help shape who we are and to uh, bring blessing to other people. So what qualifies this man called deacons and deaconesses? I'm going to show you in this board. Uh, last week, Pastor Chris took the time to write everything down. If you give me a sec. But because of time today, I'm just going to walk you through this list. All right? There we go. So what are the qualifications? As we saw in last week, and if you didn't catch the message last week, please go back to our webpage. You'll see the first part of the teaching which Pastor Chris shared. Pastor Chris divided the qualifications in four categories. Character, family life, friendship, and the word of God. There are similarities between the two lists of qualifications, but there are some things that are different. So let me start with character. Character. These deacons and deaconesses are to be honorable. These kind of leaders are people who are respected. Second, they are not insincere. What that means that is that they are not double-tongued. What they say here, they say here, they say there, and over there. Because they're sincere. And what they, what they present to other people corresponds. It's not double-tongued. Number three, they are not addicted to wine. In this list, that description is a little bit different than the description we saw last week. Last week, we saw that uh, Paul said that an elder or an overseer should not be a drunkard. And he uses the adjective for that. On this list, he doesn't use the adjective. He uses the verb form by saying, a deacon or a deaconess should not pay too much attention to wine. A deacon or a deaconess should not give themselves too much to wine. We translate that into our day. Don't be addicted to wine. Now, what you're going to see when we're done with the list is that 
you could divide this list in four categories. Here they are. Speech, sex, money, and there is another one. I'm forgetting it. If you give me a sec, I'll tell you what it is. Alcohol. Obviously, I just said it. And the reason you can divide them in those four categories is because in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, Peter says, whatever overcomes a person, to that he or she is enslaved. Did you get that? So these qualifications are given to us so that when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to sex, when it comes to um, money, and when it comes to uh, speech, Paul wants the people of God to be characterized by not being enslaved people by those things. Don't be enslaved by alcohol. Don't be enslaved by sex. Don't be enslaved by your speech. Don't be enslaved by money. But I'm sticking with this way of looking at the list for the sake of continuity. Be free of greed. Self-explain. Here is one point that is different from last week. Paul didn't say that you need to test the elders or the overseers first. But he says that the deacons and the deaconesses need to be tested first so that they prove themselves blameless. Interesting. You can think of this qualification list as the entry point, as the on-ramp. Because what Paul is going to say is, listen, if you are tested and you prove yourself blameless, you will have a good standing in the community. And perhaps as you gain a good standing in the community, you then could aspire to the noble task of an overseer. So that's how the progress works here. Next one, not devil. What does that mean? I find it curious that when Paul is talking about the qualifications, not of their wives, but the woman who, who fit within this leadership capacity, he says, do not be slanderers. And do you know what the word for slanderers is? The same word for devil. So he's basically telling the ladies, don't be a devil. You can take that one up with, with Paul. I didn't make that up. But he's saying, do not be a slanderer. Then we have be temperate. And lastly, be faithful in all things. Why is he saying be faithful in all things? Because to the man on the list, he's saying be one woman man. Have eyes, have a heart, and being in a status of being one woman man. And Pastor Chris talked about that last week. So to the ladies, he says, be faithful in all things. And he covers the basis by saying that. Then we go to family life. And he says, be one woman man. Manage your household just like the other list pointed that out. And be a good parent. Do not neglect your children. Be a good parent. 
Under the friendship category, Pastor Chris had two or three things. Under our list for today, we only have good standing. Paul says that if you live this way, you will gain a good standing for yourselves among the people. And lastly, here is the other difference. An overseer or an elder is someone who is able to teach. For the deacon and the deaconess, Paul says something different. Paul says, a deacon, a deaconess, they have faith-rooted convictions. I love that. He says, they hold to the mysteries of faith with clear conscience. What that means is that on a day when you are doubtful, on a day when you're discouraged, on a day when you're uh, struggling, you could go to one of those deacons and deaconesses, and this is one of the things you're going to find, that they have faith-rooted convictions. They're not tossed to and fro like the wind tosses a small ship in the ocean. They are rooted. And so Paul says, I want this man, I want this woman to have a faith that is rooted and that their convictions are such that they hold to those convictions with clear conscience. So that is what qualifies them. Now, what do they do? What is it that they do? Um, the New Testament doesn't have a lot of teaching about what the deacons and deaconesses do. We can infer from the stories and the few passages that they would give themselves primarily to practical uh, needs within the church. The role is undefined, and we know that they are not overseers. They're different than the overseers. And the last thing we can see is that their, their practical ministries can take so many forms. You could say that deaconesses and deacons serve in children's ministry. They serve in youth ministry. They lead pastorates. They teach in truthful living classes. They are part of the first impressions team. They are in the worship team. I mean, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Because they can serve in many practical ways within the church of God. Now, what about our church and our denomination? There are a lot of traditions, and depending who you ask, deacons and deaconesses function different. There are some traditions, some denominations in our day where a deacon will be the equivalent of one of our elders, if that makes sense. One of our elders being an overseer, for them the deacon will be that. In our church and in our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, basically deacons and deaconesses have been given more to kind of like what Paul is describing here, more of the practical needs. 
So we've had deaconesses who would help serve communion. They help when we do have a funeral memorial service or some people who may need some support. Uh, our deacons are in charge of the benevolent fund. If you're running so short to pay your rent because of COVID-19 or any other situation, we want you to talk with the deacons because they are the people who will help in that area and they also help in the area of stewardship, okay? But I'm convinced that we need to broaden our definition of deacons and deaconesses, as you can see from this passage, that we cannot limit them just to those two areas that traditionally we have employed them in. So I'm excited about that. Deacons and deaconesses are servants with a very practical-oriented focus. In our church, we have something we call the care team, we don't have deaconesses as a group right now established, but through the care team or deacons, those can be on ramps for any man and woman to start getting into that path of growing in leadership. Pastor Chris will help us knowing about other on ramps that you can use in our church to get into that path of leadership. So let me go back to the, to the point I made at the very beginning. Leadership is beautiful, but what makes leadership beautiful? I find two reasons, two mysteries. Here's the first one. In verse 9, Paul says, Deacons likewise might be dignified or honorable, no double tongue, not addicted to much wine, not greedy, nor dishonest gain, uh, not greedy for dishonest gain, they must hold the mystery of the faith. One of the things that makes leadership beautiful is, is the mystery of the faith. When leaders live out their faith in a way that translates in a blessing to other people, leadership is beautiful. Here is the other mystery. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. The other mystery that makes leadership beautiful is godliness, the mystery of godliness. You could say it this way. The currencies in the household of God are faith and godliness. In fact, Paul wants to be prepared he wants to tell Timothy, Timothy, if I don't make it or if my trip to you gets delayed, I want you to know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So in case I'm late coming to you, he says, I'm writing this whole chapter so that you know how a person man or a woman, is to behave within the household of God. Now, you could say, Diego, so what, what is the big deal about having a whole chapter dedicated to qualifications for leaders? Well, for Paul, it's a big deal because Paul 
believes two things about the household of God. Paul believes that the household of God is the church of the living God. We, the people of God, the church of God, the household of God, we are the ones entrusted to show the world around us who the living God is. Nobody else on earth has that privilege. Nobody else on earth has been given that assignment. Only the people of God, only the household of God can reveal the living God. Number two, the household of God is so important to Paul because according to him, the household of God, we, the people of God, are a pillar and a buttress of the truth. If you think of those ancient Greek structures that we're seeing in pictures, or perhaps you've gone to Greece and seen them yourself, you see those pillars, right, that used to hold the whole structure above them. Paul is saying that as a church, because we hold to the mysteries of faith and the mystery of godliness, we are the ones with the privilege to uphold the truth of God. And I cannot think of a time when that is most needed than now. Because our society is confused. And I'm sad to say that that confusion has infiltrated even the church of Christ. I, I, I am so in agreement with Richard Velodas, pastor at New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York, a church where I used to attend. He says, when speaking about the church, that sometimes we think that Jesus is going to build his church in the world through a specific political party. Friends, that idea has infiltrated the church. It is not the alignment with a particular political party that is going to change this society, that is going to change how things are done. I'm going to tell you what is going to influence our society. When the mystery of our faith and the mystery of our godliness is displayed to the world, something is going to change. It is through the church that these worlds get to see what they desperately need. So how you live in your private life, how you live in your public life matters. It matters. For our society, it may not. For God, it does. Because God considers the household of God, the church of God, his people, us, the pillar and the buttress that upholds the truth. So godliness shows our living God to others. You could say godliness enables the truth to be displayed. 
Isn't that true that sometimes we have trouble accessing truth in life? But what makes truth accessible to people is a personal testimony. Your personal testimony, my personal testimony of godliness makes truth accessible to people. And that's why Paul is so insisting and saying, hold on to the mystery of faith. Be a person who has faith-rooted convictions. Hold on to godliness. This is not just a list of qualifications. Godliness is one of the ways we make truth accessible to people. Godliness puts on display the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So why does Paul care so much about writing a whole chapter about qualifications? I think he does care because the progress of the gospel hinges on it. The progress of the gospel is going to take place when children, youth, adults, seniors, whether single, married, grandparent, or widow, when all of us allow our faith and our godliness to be displayed, the gospel of Jesus Christ will make progress. There is not a shortcut. There is not a shortcut. So our faith and godliness are based on a Christ-centered confession. This is the last part of the passage we, re we read, and I'm going to uh, start wrapping up here in a sec. There is a confession, and Paul is saying that our faith, that our godliness is founded in this extraordinary Christ-centered confession. Let me remind you of that confession. The confession says that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Being God himself, he became human, and he manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the spirit of the living God. He was seen by angels. This one gets me because why say seen by angels? Typically in the word of God, you see angels appearing to people, right? People have seen those angels. Here it says that the mystery of godliness, of the presence, the very presence of God becoming human has been put on display for angels to see. And in the book of Hebrews, we are told that angels even long to stoop down and watch the mystery of the incarnation. But the confession says also that this Jesus has been proclaimed among the nations. There's no nation where the gospel, says Paul, has not gone, gone out to. 
This Jesus has been believed on in the world. It's not just a few who have believed in Jesus. Many have believed on him. And this Jesus has been taken up in glory. See, it's interesting that Paul ends chapter 3 with that confession because in Matthew 16, 18, in a conversation where Jesus was talking with Peter, do you remember? Jesus turns to Jesus and says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Jesus was saying, Peter, upon this confession, I'm going to build my church. It's not upon certain political party or alignment or advocacy or cause that human beings come up with. It's upon this confession that the church is going to be built by Jesus. And Paul goes back to that and he says, can you get it? Do you get it? Our faith, our godliness is based on a Christ-centered confession. And as a household of God, as a family of God, we are the pillars, the buttress that uphold the truth of that gospel. And when we live our faith in the mystery of godliness in a way that the world around us sees it, the gospel of Jesus is going to move forward. So we have a special place in history. In this time, you and I are the ones who have been chosen. To allow the mystery of faith and godliness to be displayed in a world that desperate needs it. So I have seven points of application. Not intentionally. Some people would say seven is the perfect number in the Bible, but that's not why I chose seven. So I'm going to ask Isai and the team to come up as I wrap this by sharing with you seven points of application. Here is the first one. Be open to leadership development process. Perhaps you're one of the people who were discouraged because you wanted to become a leader in the church, and you were asked to be tested first. Maybe... Maybe instead of becoming, start doing what you thought you wanted to do, someone told you, how about we start here? Can you see the pattern? It's biblical. Paul would say, you want to be a leader? Start here so that we can test you and you can prove yourself blameless. And as you gain a good standing in the community, you're going to get promoted. That's how he thinks. That's how he thinks. So be open to the process. The process is in place. It's given to us for our good. 
I could tell you sad stories of people who were placed in ministry too quickly and made a wreck of their faith and the faith of other people. So be open to the process. Don't be discouraged. Stay with the process. Number two, do not minimize the value of your private and public choices. Do not minimize the value of your parenting. Do not minimize the value of your marriage. Do not minimize the value of your household management. Do not minimize the value of your sincerity. Do not minimize the value of your faithfulness. You get the point. Those choices matter. Number three, do something practical, but don't stop there. Don't stop in the place that you think is safe for you. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you grace for things that you never thought or imagined you would do, but with His help. So do something practical, but be ready for the Holy Spirit to develop you and form you in ways beyond the practical. In fact, I would say that getting into the flow of doing something practical will put you on the path of becoming. Sometimes we need to start somewhere. And as you do something practical, God will work in you and you will become certain kind of person. Number four, examine your faith. Is your faith a faith that is rooted in convictions? Is your faith a faith that is rooted in the confession of this Jesus we talked about earlier? Is your faith rooted? Or is your faith now in a moment when you are being tossed to and fro? Examine your faith. Number five, remember your household. You are not alone. You are, Christianity is not about a path you get on and you do life individually alone. Remember, you are part of a household. God put you there. God rescued you to put you there. And the next one, number six, start somewhere. Pastor Crick is... Chris is going to tell you about different ways you can get on those on-ramps to start somewhere. I hope this list does not discourage you in thinking that you need to be perfect. There's nothing perfect on that list. Here's what the list says, if I can summarize it. Is your heart set in a direction where you desire godliness? Yes, is your heart set on a direction where you desire to be rooted and grow in faith? Yes. Is your heart rooted in the confession of the godliness of Jesus Christ and his gospel? Yes. You qualify. You qualify. And the last one, love Jesus and his gospel. 
See, if you leave Jesus out of this equation, we'll have only a list of qualifications to speak of. But that's not what Paul has in mind. Paul has Jesus in mind and his gospel and the progress of that gospel. Father, I ask that you will give us grace. I ask that you will affirm us so that we will be rooted in faith. Give us your grace so that our godliness will be something that brings fruit in the different spheres where we do life. I ask that you will give us grace to not fear depending on your Holy Spirit, to not fear getting on the on-ramp, to be a man leader or a woman leader. Come and help us, Jesus. You are beautiful. And the design of leadership you have in mind is beautiful too. Amen. We're going to sing about this true God.